the epistle reading for today is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. <clears throat> and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, <clears throat> with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. <clears throat> Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The gospel reading for today is taken from the book of John, chapter 20. On the evening of that, of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Thank you. You may be seated. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. There were two brothers that were constantly at each other, and they had had a long-standing feud, and they decided to go see the pastor that they might get some help in dealing with each other. So after a long meeting with their pastor, the pastor finally got them to begrudgingly overcome this feud that they were in. They shook hands, and as they were leaving, the pastor said, you know what, it's almost Thanksgiving, why don't you you guys, just as a show of goodwill, why don't you have a wish for each other? Why don't you ask a blessing on each other? So the first brother said, okay. He said, brother, I wish for you what you wish for me. And the second brother said, see, pastor, there he goes again. He just keeps stirring it up. <laughs> How oftentimes is forgiveness hard for us to give, but also hard for us to receive? Today, as Sean said, we're talking about forgiveness, and in the Reformation, there were these great solas, or alone, of grace alone, and faith alone, through Scripture alone. But today, we're looking at the forgiveness alone that comes from our God. And in, in our church uh, teaching, we have this understanding of the office of the keys, and it's the opportunity that, that Jesus gives to the church to pronounce the forgiveness of sins to those who repent of their sins and, and to announce God's judgment upon those that will not seek God's forgiveness and repent. So we're going to use that, that gospel reading from John 20 that we just heard. And to give you some context, it's always good to look at Scripture in context. John 20, when Jesus appears to his disciples, this is on the evening of the resurrection. 
And the disciples had not seen Jesus yet. Last time they saw Jesus, he was on a cross and then taken down to be buried. And the last interaction that they had with Jesus was one where they had betrayed him. They hadn't stood up for him. They hadn't fought for him. They had deserted him. And so Jesus shows up before his disciples. The first time they see him since then, and they've got to be a little anxious, a little worried what Jesus is going to say to them. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, peace. Peace be with you. How sweet those words of peace had to be. It's as if Jesus was saying, forget about that stuff that happened before. Everything's okay now. There is peace. And when I said on the cross, it is finished, I meant it. It's finished. It's gone. Oftentimes when we read this story, when Jesus tells them, you have now the Holy Spirit and go and and forgive others, We forget about the forgiveness that's coming to these disciples at this moment because this story is about people in need of forgiveness. And this sermon today is for people in need of forgiveness. Jesus has forgiveness for us. And this is actually an amazing statement to say that Jesus forgives Because if you remember again in context in the New Testament, Jesus often got in trouble because he walked around giving out forgiveness. He would heal people, but before he healed them, he would say, your sins are forgiven, and this drove the religious leaders of the day crazy. You are forgiving sins? Who are you? The author C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity brings out this point. He said, one part of the claim that tends to slip past us unnoticed, because we've heard it so often, and we no longer see what it amounts to, is the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. If you tread on my toes, I can forgive you. If you steal my money, I can forgive you. But what should we say of a man, himself unrobbed and untrodden upon, who announces that he forgives you for treading on someone else's toes or stealing someone else's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest description we should give this kind of conduct. Yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven, and he never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the party chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was God. The God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. In the mouth of any other speaker who was not God, these words would imply silliness and conceit, unrivaled by any other character in history. 
But Jesus did just that. He forgave sins. And what C.S. Lewis points out is that, first of all, he forgave sins as if all offenses were against him, as if he was the one who was being sinned against, because he was God. And God, who, who, who gave us a perfect world, when sin came into the world, it was an offense to God himself. It broke the perfection that he had created. And God has revealed to us what life should be, as he gave us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments have two tables. We, we divide it in two. First are the offenses, the, the commands that are to be between us and God, to not take his name in vain, and that there would be no other gods, and to worship him. But he's also given us the second table of the law, the ways that we are to live towards one another. And when they're broken, the offenses that are towards our brothers and sisters, but also it's not just against them, it's against God. You see, all offenses are against God. And secondly, Lewis, C.S. Lewis reveals that when Jesus forgave, he forgave as if he had the authority to forgive all sins and all offenses. And we can say when Jesus went to the cross, that's exactly what he did. He earned the right. He earned the authority to be able to forgive all sins because he took all sin upon himself even though he had no sin. And when Jesus paid the price, it was him alone who now has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he echoes those words in John 20 here because he now passes on that authority to his followers, to his church, the authority to forgive sins. You see, when Jesus came into the world, he said, I have come to proclaim freedom to the captives. And then he tells his disciples here in John 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. Now, we're not sure what the disciples said, but I could just hear them thinking, wait a second, Jesus, we're being sent like you were sent? We just saw what happened to you. You were sent to the cross. I'm not sure that I want to be sent in that same way, but that's the mission that he has given to his church, to go into the world, a hostile world, to proclaim the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. Jesus has passed that on that authority on to you and to me. And I love the way that Jesus first connects with his disciples. Now, he could have gone through a list of all the things that they had done to offend him. He could have said, uh, now, Peter, you denied me three times, and, and you, uh, Mark, you took off. You, you took off running. I saw you, but he didn't. He said, peace be with you. And rather than show them their offenses, he showed them what he had done to win forgiveness for their offenses. He shows them his hands and his side. He shows them what forgiveness looked like. That's what God has called us to, in the church to do. Not to go around pointing out everybody's offenses, but to show them the forgiveness that is available when we repent of our sins. The forgiveness that comes through Christ alone. It's my job as a pastor to be about announcing that grace and that forgiveness so when we come to church, we hear it. 
And God now gives you as his forgiven, chosen people the opportunity to be people of grace. As you have been forgiven, to now go forward and to share that forgiveness with one another. As Paul said in Ephesians there, as we just heard, we have been forgiven that we might also go out and forgive others. When we receive Holy Communion, one of the things we do is the pastor says, the peace of the Lord be with you, and you say also with you, and then we share that peace with one another because when we come to church, we take forgiveness seriously. And in that sharing of the peace, we're saying there is nothing between us that the altar can't cure, can't fix. God grants us his peace. And we hear it in word, we sing it in song that there is forgiveness in our God so that we might also go out and live it in our lives. The author Corey Tenboom tells a story of forgiveness. She says, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was this truth that they most needed to hear in this bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe it was because the sea is never far from Holland's mind. And I like to think that that's where our forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. The people stood up in silence, and in silence they collected their things, and in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against all the others. One moment I saw an overcoat and a brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of walking bare past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are in the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. I mean, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop that hung from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. 
No, he hadn't remembered me. But since then, he went on, I have become a Christian. I now know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And as I stood there, I, whose sins had to every day be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been a many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness was not an emotion. I knew that too well. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed quietly. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing happened. The current started in my shoulder, and it raced down my arm, and it sprang into our joined hands. And then, this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bring tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all of my heart. We have been forgiven. We have been forgiven by our God. And we come to church and we hear the words as the pastor stands before you and says, your sins are forgiven. God calls us to be people of forgiveness. So who do you need to forgive? Or maybe better yet, the question is, who do you need to seek forgiveness from? And when we answer those two questions, we've started the hard work of forgiveness. Our God has taken our sin, cast it into the sea. There's a story from the 14th century in England. Robert the Bruce was leading Scotland in a campaign to win their independence from England. And at one point, the English troops had captured Robert Bruce's own dogs, bloodhounds, and set them on the scent of Robert, tracking him through the woods. Those dogs knew his scent better than any other scent. And as the dogs grew closer and the, the barks grew louder, Robert's men said, we're done for. There's no way we can outrun the dogs. But Robert Bruce said, it's okay. And he went down to the stream, and he waited a while upstream, and then he got out on the other side into the dark woods. And when the dogs followed his scent to the river, they stopped. There was nowhere else to go. 
The scent was broken. No matter how much the English soldiers prodded the dogs on, they went no farther. It was only a couple of weeks later that the crown of Scotland was put on Robert Bruce's head. Our sins can follow us like those bloodhounds, barking louder and louder, prodded on by Satan to remind us of what we've done. But there is a river that flows with the blood of Christ that can remove all the guilt of our sin, anything in our past. And Jesus stands before us and says, peace, peace be with you. It's okay, it's taken care of. It is finished. You are forgiven. Forgive each other. Amen.